this morning, a uh, message, I, want, I have a message entitled, Hide and Seek. We're going to be talking about uh, what it means sometimes when God hides from us in our lives. Now, uh, this last uh, week went to, uh, uh, to the local uh, Chevy and Chrysler dealer to pick up a, a new vehicle. Now, I, most of you know I drive a uh, used Kia. And uh, <laughs> you say, why is that? Because that's all I need. And I like it. I think it's kind of a cool car. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> can I afford a lot nicer car? Yeah. But I don't even, just because you can afford something doesn't mean you shouldn't. You know, I've, I've, you've heard me talk about this. Don't quit living on the financial edge of your life. Some of you, your toes are so far over. It's a miracle. Uh, you don't cave in. As soon as gas goes up unexpectedly, you're in big trouble. You know, if you're reasoning with yourself about a new mortgage or a new car payment thinking you know well if I just do this and we just do that and I've worked a few more hours here we should be able to pull it off if you're talking like that don't do it okay you should be able to look at whatever payment you're facing and go oh yeah I can do that then that's when you do it all right quit just maxing out all the time get yourself in all kinds of trouble so uh uh so I, I drive a pretty simple car now the redhead she can drive whatever she wants <laughs> and she does. She's she's <laughs> she's been driving a uh, a Cadillac CTS, kind of a cool car. If you've seen her buzzing around town in it, uh, but now we have grandchildren, three gorgeous little rugrats, and uh, so we needed to get something else. One because they are destroying the nice CTS. <laughs> it's amazing, amazing what little kids can do. Kicking the quit kicking that, eee, quit kicking that, eee, you know. Talking to a brick wall, but uh, uh, I send the parents home to actually do this—the disciplining. But uh, uh, and then and then the other thing, we just we didn't have enough room for them because now we, now we got three of them. So we so she's actually stepped back and got the minivan now. So uh, so we go to order the minivan and and uh, you know we're ordering all the options and we're pretty much you know getting all the cool little toys and stuff inside the the minivan and and one of the options on the list was a towing package i thought well towing package i should get the towing package because we got a little boat and you know a little thing that go out on the river with and and uh, we got a little trailer and sometimes want to haul stuff around for people so we thought, well i said give me give me the the, the towing package like 600 bucks something, something like that and uh so anyway the van shows up and we get all this stuff and uh and and if you look behind the car there there's nothing there's no ball, there's no thing. And some guys in the early service, now, Pastor, was this, there was a square thing back there? No, nothing! I get it. There was absolutely nothing there. And, uh, and, uh, uh, but they did give me this bag of nice wires. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, where, where, where's the ball and the jack and stuff? I say, oh, oh, that doesn't come with the towing package. <laughs> what did I pay for? Well, there's a bigger battery and a little more cooling to the transmission and, and the wires. I said, now, let me ask you a question. Why would I buy a towing package if I can't actually tow something? He said, well, I, I don't know, I, I thought you were just going to, you know, got a lot of heavy weight to drive around in the, in the van. Well, first of all, our grandkids are not that fat. 
Secondly, if that was the case, wouldn't it be called a carry a lot of stuff in the van package? (laughs) Doesn't the idea of towing package imply you're going to actually tow something? Well, no, that's, 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 that's different. And And you gave me the wires. Now, shouldn't you have connected the wires first? (laughs) So that if I ever do tow something, I can plug it in? I mean, you had the wires at one time. But apparently not, because then I would have missed out on the great carrying case that came with it. So apparently in my alternate universe, that makes no sense. I got some great wires though, for $600. That's just a little odd to me. So uh, I talk about that this morning, one, to vent. And uh, secondly, (laughs) I don't know what they're thinking. Honestly, but uh, secondly, to say, you know, sometimes when it comes to the area of faith, I think one of the reasons why people are so skeptical in life about faith, when you talk about God actually answering their prayers and and forgiving their sins and giving their life meaning, they're kind of skeptical. They don't really believe you. One of the reasons for that would be towing packages like this. Because so many people have been told one thing and instead get something a little different. Kind of a bait and switch kind of situation. And I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, really, I think sometimes Christians are guilty of that very thing. In our zeal to talk about how wonderful it is to know God, how great it is to have faith, to experience Christ in your life... It, in, in our zeal to communicate that to others, sometimes I think, uh, and certainly preachers have been guilty of this, where we say, you know, if you just ask Jesus in your life, we kind of imply that everything will be great. Everything will be wonderful. You won't have any more problems. You'll be at peace with the universe. Everything will go well for you. The, the flowers will grow faster around your house. Birds will sing you, to, sing you awake every morning. Chipmunks will help you sweep the floors. Squirrels will do the dishes. It'll be fabulous. The problem is we're kind of overselling because that's not the truth at all. And the Bible never talks about faith in those terms. It doesn't say you won't have problems. If anything, Jesus guaranteed us, you will have problems. But he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I can help you out of those problems. If you fall in the pit, I will pull you out of the pit. That's the great thing about faith. Without God in your life, you fall in the pit, you're in the pit. Life's the pits. And they stay in the pit. There's nothing they can do. And they try to pull out of the pit. And just, you know, the great thing about people of faith, we go in pits too. But someone pulls us out of the pit. Sounds like an underarm commercial or something, but it's... Okay? So, this idea... Now, sometimes... The truth of the matter is, even though when you come to Christ and you put your your faith in him and and you feel the blessings of God and God moving in your life, 
one of the messages we don't hear very often is what I'm talking about this morning. And that is this. Sometimes God hides from people. And he does it on purpose. Because God loves to play hide and seek. So let's take a look this morning at uh, the, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it says here, now on that same day, what day? This is the day of the resurrection. Now already the mor- in this, on, on this morning, the women had gone to the tomb. The rock had been rolled away. Uh, they looked, there was nobody inside. And, you know, an angel told them, hey, he's risen, he's not here. They go back, tell the disciples, everybody's excited. Wow, wow, they're just kind of confused about everything. And it says on that same day, Two of them were going down to a village named Emmaus. This is two of the disciples, not not one of the apostles, but uh, some of the other followers of Jesus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. I mean, you know, here they would put their faith in Jesus. They thought, this is amazing. He can do anything. He does miracles. And, And they really thought he was going to help establish the kingdom of God right then and there. That he would become king and... Uh, get rid of the Romans and everything would be great. They they didn't grasp this idea that he had to suffer first. Even though he told them this, they just never quite got it. So they were talking about this. And it says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them. Now how cool is that? Wouldn't that be cool? If you're walking along and all of a sudden Jesus himself comes walking up right alongside you. Well, this is what happened. But it says they were kept from recognizing him. Here he is right there. The God of the universe. Standing right next to him and talking to them. And they had absolutely no idea. And then Jesus asked them. He says, uh, so what are you guys talking about? As you walk along here. And they stood still, their faces downcast. I mean, they're bummed out, man. They are emotionally depressed. You ever feel emotionally depressed? You ever feel like, Life really stinks. You walk around like this. Because everything reeks in your life. It's horrible. It's icky. Nothing's working. Emotionally you're in the pits. And here they are in an emotional pit. And right next to them. Talking with them. Is Jesus Christ in the flesh. Wow. Pretty amazing. Well one of them named Cleopas. Says to Jesus. He says. So what do you mean? Are you, the only, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Don't you know what's happened here these last days? Well, what things? Jesus asked. He said, well, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a, a, a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb this morning, didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And, and Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Now that, you think that'd be a little insulting because I don't know who this guy is. He's kind of rebuking them for not getting it. Of course, this was, I'm sure this was frustrating to the Lord. How many times Jesus said, Oh, good grief. How long am I going to be stuck with you guys? That's what he did. Over and over again, he just go, Oh, you're such a drag, you guys. You just don't get it. I keep telling you this stuff and you still don't get it. And here, he is talking to them and they're whining and he goes, ah. 
You still don't get it. And he says to them, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, and as he went to the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to, to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going to go further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's almost evening, the day's almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And guess what happens next? He disappears from their sight. Thing. Now that had to be pretty freaky, I gotta tell you. But uh, how cool is that? You know, you're talking to this guy, all of a sudden he realizes Jesus, he's gone. Just like that. Now, my message this morning. God loves to play hide and seek with people. Why is that? Because he wants us to, des- to, to desire him. To desire him. If I can talk this morning. Not to serve him because we have to. Not because someone told us to do. But to serve him because we truly desire him. And want him. Now, the game of hide and seek creates a sense of desire. Because the person doing the seeking has to desire to find the person they are looking for. I mean, hide and seek only works if the person who's it really tries. You know, if you just go, seven, eight, nine, ten, okay. <laughs> Where are you guys? And you sit down and start crying. That's not much of a game. All right? You've got to try. The whole point of the game is you've got to go running around looking and, and chasing down. Now what happens when you do that? It creates a sense of desire, which is what I want to talk about. When we really try to find God, when he intentionally pulls away from you and kind of hides. I mean, he's never really away from you like Jesus is right there, but he hides. You can't see him. Why is that? All of a sudden, God, where are you at? Man, how come you seem so far away? What, 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 what's wrong? What did I do wrong? You have to understand, nothing is wrong. He does this on purpose. When he does it, you ought to go, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, you're playing right. I know you're around here. And then we get into the hide and seek thing. And you start looking for him. That, instead of whining and crying, the truth is, God's walking along with you and all of a sudden he goes, you're it. And he disappears. <laughs> and quit freaking out. But now, start, okay, I know you're here. You're here somewhere. Where are you in my husband? No, it's impossible. Where are you at? Where are you? <laughs> yeah. and, and start looking around. <laughs> you see, attention seeking brings desire. Now, I want to read to you from a book from a, a new author out there. He's, he's got a new book out, a brilliant guy called Mark Gunger. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, from a little section here in the book that says, uh, God desires us. The reason our relationship works with God is because he never stops desiring our relationship with us, no matter how we act. Even though we have behaved terribly at times, uh, he still is committed to us. God has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Because of God's all-knowing ability, our thoughts and actions are never a surprise to him. He knows us perfectly through and through. He knows our capacity for evil, yet he chooses to love us in spite of all the hideous things we have done or ever will do. Now, when I first came to Jesus, I would find myself desiring things that were forbidden. I would often cry at the altars of our little country church asking God to change my heart. So I wouldn't desire these things. I committed, I struggled, I promised, went through all this, but I keep messing up time and time again. Uh, At that time, I thought my attention followed my desire. As uh, if I was paying attention to the wrong things, I was sure it's because 
I needed a heart surgery. In other words, I thought, well, if I really want that, there's something wrong in here. That the desire, attention comes because of desire. And I'm desiring evil things. But when the, the truth of the matter is exactly, it's the other way around. Jesus said where your treasure is, your focus, your treasure, that's where your heart will be. That's where the desire will be. Jesus didn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. He told us that our desire, our hearts, follow our attention. Let me give you an example. Speaking of cars this morning. Did you ever go for months without even thinking about buying a new car and then you happened to buy a new car lot? You stepped into the showroom and you sat down in one of the shiny new vehicles. Everything's new and perfect. That new car smell fills your nostrils. You grip the new steering wheel and your heart begins to race at the thought of owning this wonder machine. Suddenly, leaping from within you, comes this desire. I need to buy this car. See, that's why they want you to come and test drive. Stop in today for a test drive. They don't say stop in today and buy. Stop in just, just for a test drive. Just sit down. Feel it. Get the group. Why? Because they know that attention brings desire. That's why people, companies spend millions of dollars, even on stuff like the Super Bowl ads, where they spend all this money for 30 seconds. Why? Why in the world would anybody do that? Because if you will pay attention for 30 seconds, you'll start wanting it. You'll start wanting it. That's what drives our, our, our economy. Show me. Well, pay attention to this. Pay attention. Why, 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 why? Because then, then ooh, we start wanting it. The reason I talk about this in my, my book about marriage is that this is what happens with couples. You know, in the beginning, they have all this desire for each other. And they can't stay away from each other. They sit for hours and they cow-eye each other. And they think they're doing this because they have all this desire. Oh, I really want this person. I really want it. So then you get married and life kicks in and <laughs> starts beating the snot out of you. And, and then all of a sudden, couples start wondering, well, I don't have any more desire. What happened? I'm not in love anymore. I'm looking at a stranger. I mean, you hear all these stories. Why? Because they think desire, and therefore because desire is gone, I should start over. I should get rid of this idiot and marry another idiot. And then I'll be happy. (laughs) When in reality, the reason your desire has waned is because you quit paying attention to each other. I had a couple come to me once and said, Pastor, we have no desire. There's there's no spark there. It's just just over. I I don't know what's wrong. I said, really? I said, well, how much time do you guys spend with each other? And they went, well, none really. Well, you ever go on dates together? Uh, no. You ever go on walks together? Uh, no. I mean, they did nothing. They passed like ships in the night. And then wondered, how come my life stinks? How come I feel no desire? Because desire follows attention. It's not the other way around. If you will pay attention to your spouse, you will actually find yourself desiring your spouse as improbable as that may seem at times pay attention to the girl look at the girl quit looking at other girls look at your girl watch your girl you i promise you you do this you will find something happening inside all of a sudden there's desire because our hearts will follow desire and god knows this in our relationship with him if we start looking for him it creates a sense of desire 
for God. And puts us in a good place because now we're serving him and, and following him because we want to. Not because we have to. Alright, continuing on. So these guys, you know, they were, they were uh, amazed. Jesus all of a sudden disappears and they went, Wow! And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Uh, there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The guys were going, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. So Peter had seen him. Well, then these two guys told him what had happened to them on the way and how Jesus had, was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking among, about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So here they all, all huddled. They're talking, wow, 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 wow. And boom, all of a sudden Jesus appears. <laughs> now, he says, peace be with you. I got to tell you, when all of a sudden you go, boink, and appear, there's not a lot of peace going on. <laughs> because that would freak the willies out of, out of people, right? Uh, and it says they were startled and frightened. Why? Because all of a sudden he goes, boink. And that would freak anybody out, okay? So, they thought they were seeing a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? <laughs> because you just popped in. What do you mean, why am I troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet as I myself touch and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Why did he do all that? Because he wanted to demonstrate to him that he was physically alive. Now one of the uh, alternate versions of what people call of the resurrection was, well, Jesus didn't really raised from the dead. I mean, you know, it's, it's like an, an apparition up here, a ghost up here. You know, that happens sometimes. You hear about people, you know, after they pass. And No, 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 no. This wasn't the ghost of Jesus. This was Jesus. He was physically raised from the dead and had a new glorified body that will live forever. Which, by the way, we all get that someday. Isn't that cool? I mean, glorified bodies that will live forever. Now, this is only good news. Actually, this will happen to everybody. This will happen to everybody. There will be a whole lot of people that get that and then go to hell for eternity. Owie, 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 owie. You know, and those who believe in Christ and do the right things go to heaven and we get to enjoy that. But we're looking forward to this incredible having these glorified bodies. I mean, we get a new bod. How cool is that? I hope mine's got more hair. You know, <laughs> you know. I don't know if we get to appear and stuff like that. I hope so, because if so, I'm just you know for the first twelve thousand years, I'm just going to keep popping up in Lathan's house, hi, and disappear. Oh, just <laughs> freaking out! Stop it! But it'll be great. We'll be healthy. We'll be whole. We'll have new bodies. Lathan won't have an accent anymore. It'll be fabulous. <laughs> And then he says to them, look guys, this is what I told you while I was with you. Again, we've talked about this. He told them in no uncertain terms, we're going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. On the third day, I will rise again from the dead. And when all this happened, they freaked. Like they never heard of such a thing. Now one lady said the reason 
He kept saying this over and over again, and they didn't get it. It's because they were men. (laughs) She may be right. I don't know. (laughs) But he said, everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And I was fulfilling scripture. All this was already laid out. And then he opened their minds so they could understand, which is really the point here. Because I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody where you're trying to share with them spiritual truths, and they stare at you like you drifted in from Mars. And they have no idea what you're talking about. And, I mean, it's, it's like a veil is over their eyes. And it's really true in a spiritual sense. Uh, in, in, in when people are in spiritual darkness and away from God and they've never experienced Christ, it's kind of like this veil. They don't quite get it. They don't know, you can talk to them as plain as day and they just don't get it because their minds are darkened. So I encourage you when, you, when, when you're talking to somebody about faith and stuff and, you, and, and someone who, who that you're, you're getting to know, pray for them ahead of time. Say, Lord, lift that veil. Open their eyes. Help them to be able to grasp these things. Because ultimately, unless Jesus reveals himself to a person, uh, there's not a whole lot you can say that's going to do anything. I mean, you know, uh, when I'm speaking and preaching and teaching, someone comes to Christ. It's not because I'm so smart or brilliant. It's that all of a sudden Jesus lifts the veil and, and, and they get it. It's kind of cool. So anyway, he opens their minds and he told them, this is what was written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. All the stuff he told them before. And then repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. And before he left, he said, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay into the, in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now, on this Wednesday night, in our Wednesday night Bible study, we are going to be looking at the book of Acts. One of my favorite books in the Bible. Probably my favorite book in the Bible. And we're going to have a lot of fun going through that verse at a time. And reading. It's, it's a history book really. Not a lot of doctrine and stuff so much in there. It's just telling you what happened. And we're going to see what happened when they waited. And he sent this power from on high. And uh, let me encourage you. Come on Wednesday nights. It's a great time to really uh, get a chance to uh, understand, understand the scriptures. If you really want to get to know the Bible. Come on Wednesday nights. Bring your Bibles with you. And, uh, and sit and learn this. Because it's, it's great fun. How many have been on the Wednesday night Bible studies? Yeah, look at all these hands. We, we get great audiences on, on Wednesday night. And it's fun. It's really fun. It's my favorite service of the week. It really is. And, and we just, you know, go nuts. I go nuts. You know, just rabbit trailing all over the place. It was great fun. But, uh, so anyway, so we're going to take a look at what he's talking about. But anyway, here's the thing that I want you to know. When God plays hide and seek with you, when he's walking along, all of a sudden he goes, dang, you're it, and disappears. You've you got to know that it's a game that is rigged. It is. The game is rigged because you will find him. Okay? In Jeremiah, God says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. It's a rigged gig. He's going to say, yeah, you're it, and he disappears, and you can't feel him, and it seems like nothing's going on. Don't freak, don't panic, just go, okay, the game's on. And start looking. And the deal is, you will find him. You will find him. It's, it's kind of like, you know, playing hide and seek with with my grandsons, you know, you go okay, and then run in the basement and hide under boxes. When you're playing hide and seek with a three or four or five year old, you hide behind things like this. Okay, <laughs> come and find me. And they run around. They look over. Ah! And they find you. So why? Because I want them to find me. I want to make it easy for them to find me. God will let you find him. It's a rigged game. Now, I will say this. The older they get, the more I will hide. 
at some point, I will be in basements and under boxes and who knows where, making it harder for them to find me. And that's the truth with God. In fact, as you're growing in your faith, sometimes you'll go, why is it so hard all of a sudden? It's never been this hard to find God. What? Why? Because the game's on. Game's on. You're a big boy now. You're a big girl now. He's not going to hide behind little skinny posts. You got to go digging, looking, seeking. Again, all of this to create a desire in us as we focus for God. But if you just get in a panic state and cry and whine and become depressed because you don't want to play the game, then you'll never grow in your faith. A lot of people get upset because there is a game. A lot of people don't like playing games in relationships. The truth of the matter is much of what I teach people about relationships, be it between uh, people at work or between your husband and wife or your kids, or what, all relationships, even our relationship with God, is kind of based on an extended game, if you will. You've got to know what the rules are. And in, in my book, in my seminars, I talk about, look, if, if, if you'll do this, this is what likely to happen. If you'll do this, that's not guaranteed. People are looking for scientific formulas. We don't have that. But these are the basic rules. And, but a lot of people get mad. So it's just a game. It's not relationships. This is a big game. Yes. Play the game. People want to score points in their lives, but they don't want to play the game. Well, this stuff is all so predictable. It's the game. It's supposed to be when Brett Favre falls back and he throws the ball. People don't go, look at that, he threw the ball. I didn't think he'd throw a ball, would you? Someone got an early cue. <laughs> they, you know, wouldn't be shocked. Look, they ran. Wow, why doesn't he run the other way? They're trying to get him. He could get farther. No, that's what I would do. I get the ball and run the other direction. <laughs> See ya! No, they run through. Why? It's all part of the game. Now, people want to score points, they want to score touchdowns, but they won't want to play the game. But you've got to play the game. You've got to get in these dynamics of hide and seek, of following these rules, of, of all these interactions and stuff that create desire for people in our lives. If you'll do it, you'll find desire will grow, it'll be fabulous, and you won't be bummed out because all of a sudden, tag, you're it. Now, the musicians can come to the stage and... The ushers can come forward. So, anyway, it's all right. Now, let me challenge you this morning, as the Lord did, as people began, as he went around uh, challenging people to follow him. He, he would say stuff like this. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't overselling. He wasn't saying, you know, tow package, but give you nothing to tow. All right? He didn't hand people a bag of, look what you get. All right? He told them the truth. What he did to people was say, hey, pick up your cross and follow me. Now stop and think about that. Now we think of, we don't think much about that today because, well, cross, yes, yeah, a religious symbol. No, 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 no. When Jesus was saying this, this was no religious symbol. It was an instrument of death. It would be like someone today saying, follow me, pick up your electric chair. Or grab your hangsman's noose and follow me. Really, that's what it was. It was the, the cross was there in, in, in the Roman times, and it was it was a death penalty instrument. Jesus comes along and says, "Pick up your cross and fall. What are you talking about? Pick up my cross." He said to people, "Deny yourself, follow me." He never promised it would be this piece of cake, rosy thing. He said, "You know, this this will be hard. This will be one of the hardest things you do, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world." 
See, in the midst of... Here's the thing. It's not like life is easy anyway. Life is always hard. I would rather have a hard life and difficulties in life with Jesus than to have a normal, difficult life and just relying on Marky. Because not a whole lot Marky can do about life. But if we get this idea that it'll never be difficult, that it'll never be challenging, then that's not unrealistic. It is difficult at times. And times we get ourselves in situations where we need miracles. But the only way to get a miracle is when you need one. Don't get discouraged when that happens. And if you're in a place in your life this morning where the Lord has gone, you're it, and it's kind of disappeared from you, you need to understand, he never leaves you. He never leaves you. Here he is walking right next to these guys, and they had no idea. Why? He loves this game. He wants you to willfully chase after him. And I got to tell you, just the fact that you're here this morning is a a wonderful statement of, I want more of God in my life. I want him to reveal himself to me. Now, I I find it interesting in, in the scripture that we read this morning. When they saw him is when he broke the bread. He gave thanks. He broke the bread. And all of a sudden, there he is. There he is. And then he disappeared again. I mean, there's something special in that. And as as you read other accounts in the other Gospels, this would happen again and again. All of a sudden, he would break the bread and they'd they'd recognize who he was. Um, This thing that we do is communion. This is not just some religious ritual that we do. This should be a time of reflecting and a time of revelation. Where we say, God, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Show me what you're doing in my life. Show me where you are. So as we do that this morning, don't just fall into some kind of ritualistic thing, but really have an attitude in your heart. Lord, let me see you. Let me see you in my life. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never even taken the first steps of faith and and giving your heart to to Christ, we'd like to pray a prayer together. I'd like everybody to bow their heads uh, with me this morning. And if you'll believe this prayer from the bottom of your heart, if you'll say this with all sincerity, And ask God to forgive you of your sins. You can take your first steps of faith this morning. And start experiencing this wonderful thing. Called faith that we're talking about. Let's pray together. Say dear Jesus. I believe you are the son of God. That you loved me so much. You went to the cross. And took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart. And forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.